This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. After the Azusa Street Revival, and when the Pentecostal movement was in full swing, the new health and wealth gospel went forward with ministers and evangelists drawing great crowds of people with signs and wonders. People were eager to hear and see these attractions. And these men would quote the scripture of, These signs shall follow them that believe, and then put what seemed like their faith into action. Men were truly genuine hearts, some of them, seeking to lead souls to Jesus Christ. They were filled with the power of the Spirit, and that Spirit showed the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But over time, some of these fruits of the Spirit started dropping off the scene starting with self-control. Some of these ministers started feeding on the miracles that were present in their ministries rather than the Word of God. This, the biblical evidence of the kind of tree that you're looking at is by the fruits that it bore. But the Pentecostal movement quickly turned to these signs as the evidence or fruit of the Holy Spirit. Over time, the fruits of the Spirit that Paul mentioned were quickly forgotten. Many would start to claim that speaking in tongues was evidence of the Holy Spirit, or as Paul would write, the fruit of the Spirit. Many would choose healing. Some would choose other miracles, but most would forget the true evidence of the Holy Spirit. Those genuine, soul-seeking, faithful ministers started to drop off the scene. If they did not have the miracles present in their ministry, and even if they had the true fruits of the Spirit that Paul described in the people that they led to Christ, the fundamental Pentecostal belief system told them that they did not have the evidence or the fruit of the Spirit. And if a minister did have the miracles present for a period of time, and these miracles seemed to cease. They were quickly told that they had grieved the Holy Spirit 
and that these miracles had left them. They needed to repent, turn back to God, and the signs and wonders would return. The problem remains that the Pentecostal ministry did not look for the fruits of the Spirit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit that Paul instructed them to look for. They were causing genuine Holy Ghost-filled ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ to doubt their salvation and their walk with Christ. Most of these ministers dropped off the scene to be long forgotten. Large crowds started following big names in the Pentecostal movement, the ones who could work the greatest miracle. People would rather see Barnum and Bailey's circus of attractions than to see a humble man on a street corner preaching the real gospel of Jesus Christ. As a father, I have children that constantly need correction. On a daily basis, they are growing. They're feeling out the boundaries of what they can and cannot do. They're learning as they advance into adulthood. They do things that many times make me cringe, unfortunately, even in front of other people. If they were my employees, I'd fire them. They do not follow the rules. They break them daily, and they're completely worthless to the business. They need to go back to filling bags at a grocery store, and hopefully they can't mess that up. But my boys are not my employees. They're my children. I love them to death. They could walk up to me. They could kick me in the shin. They could slap me in the face. And I'd take them back into the back room of correction, dragging them by their ear. But then I will forgive them. I will always be their father. They will always be my sons. My correction will bring discipline, and that discipline will teach them the ways of life. When they grow into manhood, they will be men that I can be proud of. And even if they are not, if for some reason they fail, I'll still love them anyway. There's a song that I love called, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And it describes the way that I feel about my children. It's without boundaries. It is love beyond measure, unmerited for them, simply because they're my sons. But as the song says, my love for them is nothing to compare for the Father's love for us. These Pentecostal ministers traveled from town to town using the same stage acts as they visited each city. The people would sing, some gospel singers would sing, the minister would preach hellfire and brimstone into a calculated fear of eternal separation and then start attacking the faith of the congregations. This evidence or this new fruit of the Spirit should be present in the lives of the people. If it wasn't, they would ask the people if they had the Holy Spirit. Then, after asking this question, they present arguments as to why they did not have it. Maybe they cut their hair. Maybe they didn't wear the Pentecostal dress code. Maybe makeup or music and more. All outward things that had very little to do with the heart. Again, the fruits of the Spirit that Paul mentioned had long since been forgotten. But unlike the Father's love for His children, undying love that will never fail, these ministers started promoting the idea that the people had offended God with their breach of their outward appearance. 
They would attack the sins of the lives, even past sins, long covered under, under the blood of Jesus Christ. Their goal and intention was to break the people down so that the numbers would be great in their altar call. The greater the number, the more impressive the minister was. He was leading hundreds of souls to Christ. Just look at the altar call. The man was being glorified, not God. But this breaking down of Christian faith is unscriptural, and it's very harmful. What if, you were, what if I were to administer correction to my children when they disobey by telling them, if you do that again, I will leave you? I'm not going to do that. They're my children. William Branham was not honest about his call to the Pentecostal faith after the 1937 flood. He was a Pentecostal minister from the beginning, regardless of his fictional stories on tape. The 1933 newspapers advertised Branham as the assistant pastor of the Pentecostal Tabernacle under Roy E. Davis. Once he started his own ministry, the church was called the Pentecostal Tabernacle. This false teaching that you can offend the Holy Spirit enough to make the Spirit leave you and forsake you was bred into him through and through. There's a scripture that's used by many Pentecostal ministers, snipped completely out of context and then twisted beyond all recognition. Ephesians 4.30 And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed unto the day of your redemption. This scripture is intended to read as it sounds, with the background of a heavenly father who loves his children. They're his children. They're sealed until the day of redemption. Absolutely nothing, nothing can take away the love of God. And we are sealed by his Holy Spirit. Paul begs us not to do anything to cause the father grief. Just like my wife begs my children, do not cause me grief. Don't do the things that will upset me, otherwise correction will quickly follow. But I'll still love them. They're sealed with my name. They will always be my children. Branham would quote the scripture often throughout his ministry, even quoting it entirely. But his focus was not on the sealed part, it was on the grieve part. That focal point would become so magnified that he would often leave off the second half, scaring the people into submission. 1962, fellowship. He says, and a Christian can't fellowship around like that. Listen to this. It would kill the Holy Spirit that was in him. Grieve the Holy Spirit, and it would go away. Look it up for yourself. 1962. Sermon entitled Fellowship, 62-0519. This is not the Father's love. You can't kill the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve the Holy Spirit enough to leave you and forsake you. It won't go away. You are sealed. You're sealed until the day of your redemption. He would preach sermons that would make the followers question their faith, question whether or not they had grieved the Holy Spirit enough to leave them. They weren't sermons of encouragement. 
preparing the Christian with strength for battle. They were sermons intended to break down the faith, to cause them to question their faith. It's evident that he didn't want a convert so much as he wanted an altar call. Temper breeds temper, he says. 1963. Temper breeds temper. And listen to who has the temper. He says, first thing you know, you'll grieve the Holy Spirit away from you. You'll be fussing back. And then the Holy Spirit takes its flight. And then he repeats it. Temper breeds temper. 1963. Listen to this. Is your life worthy of the gospel? A question, not encouragement. Even the Old Testament representation, or type as he called it, of being sealed by the Holy Spirit was twisted completely out of context. When the children of Israel told, told to strike the post of the door with the blood of the Lamb, that blood, the blood of a Lamb, sealed them from certain death. Just as the blood of the Lamb, the Heavenly Father's Son, Jesus Christ, just as His blood seals us from certain death. In a sermon entitled, The Token, the sermon that described the blood of the Lamb on the post of the door, Branham reversed the seal. It was no longer a permanent thing, and the weight of holding that seal in place was on your shoulders, rather than on God's shoulders, the Father. He says this, 1964, the token. I look at the way I feel, what's in my soul. I'm full of temper, anger, I'm jealous. I've got all, oh my. That would grieve the Holy Spirit from you right now. See, see. Listen to what he's saying here. This is false teaching. That the Father doesn't love you enough to seal you until redemption. That the Holy Spirit will leave you if you sin. It would grow and grow over time. What seemed like a minor heresy would be amplified into one of the biggest, most blasphemous statements that William Branham would make in his entire ministry. He says this in 1965, Leadership. And after you read this, think about whose leadership. He says, the choice of your conduct. He said, you can't mix it now. You're either for God or you're against God. In other words, there's a line in the sand. He says, the outward expression shows exactly what's on the inside. See, the cucklebur. He says, many of you think I've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to heaven. He said, that don't mean one thing you're going to heaven. No, sir. He says, you can have the baptism of the Holy Ghost every hour in your life and still be lost and go to hell. And then he says, the Bible says so. He says, uh-huh. He says, that's exactly right. 1965, look it up for yourself. 1207 leadership. Friends, this is not scriptural. This is false teaching and this is heresy. This is twisting God's word from the true word of God into some other form of worship. It's twisting our God into some other God. 
The God who loves us enough to send his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins has just become a God of hate and rage. And not just hate and rage. The God who is above all gods is given the weakness of our personalities. He can now somehow become offended in this twisted theology, offended enough that he leaves us to fend for ourselves. He's no longer the father who loves his children. He becomes a dictator whose servants must fear being cut off, cut off from the kingdom. There are many who mistakenly think that God was only a God of justice and wrath in the Old Testament. But God was the same Heavenly Father back then as afterward, whenever Jesus died on the cross. God does not change. God's eternal. God is not limited to our time and our space. He's not progressive over time. The Old Testament describes the same Father that loves the children. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Be prepared for battle. Do not be in fear or dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. And listen to this part. He will never leave you or forsake you. This, friends, is the God who loves you. Not some God of wrath who would smite a man's wife and child in some fictional story about joining the Pentecostal faith. Not some God who will leave you if you sin. This is the God of love. The God who cares for his children as his own. Paul reminds this reminds us of this in Hebrews 13. It was so important that we find the same exact scripture two times in the Bible. Once in the Old Testament, once in the New. Paul, Paul writes, Keep your life free from the love of money. And I should repeat this because many seem to have forgotten. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, and listen, Paul writing, I will never leave you, never leave you, nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. If you haven't yet decided whether or not you will serve the God that Branham promoted or serve the God of the Bible, make your choice today. Serve the living God, the God that we find in the Bible that loves us no matter what we do as children. Serve the God who remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who has sealed us until the day of redemption. Don't serve some selfish God that can be offended enough to walk away. That's what the Baals did. You wouldn't even want friends to be this selfish. Why base your salvation on something that you wouldn't even do in your personal lives? Serve the God who offers us salvation with unmerited favor. All we have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. Paul writes this, For by grace are you saved, through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of from God. Ephesians 2, 8. 